starting to change your mind about you, where we are on a journey together to awaken to our true identity. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, and today we're going to continue our discussion of what humanity is by focusing more on the relational aspects of our existence. In the previous episode, we revealed that humanity's higher power, higher level functioning, that is, is generated through spirit, which is like air power. From this perspective, a living human being is essentially spirit, which currently resides in a physical body. Since God is spirit, as it says in John 4, 24, and it is his spirit that gives life, John 6, 63 is the reference there. In this way, a living human being reflects the image and likeness of God. Yet, there is another, and perhaps more important way, we humans are to reflect God's image. Let's recall from our earlier discussion of God in John chapter 1, in verses 1 through 4. It says there, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Here we see that God consists of two, the Word and God, who dwell together in unity and thus create together as one. God is the creative source of thought, and the Word is the agent of creation through which the thought of God is manifested. The two act in unison. There's perfect agreement between God and the Word. The creation account in Genesis 1 confirms this in several places. We find that before God creates something there, we'll see the expression, and God said. In this particular phrase, God's thought is being presented. Following this, the act of creation takes place and is confirmed by the expression, and it was so, which tells us that the manifestation of God's thought has taken place. Thus, demonstrating the two, God and the Word, are of the same spirit and create together as one. Verse 4 of John 1 tells us that this one God is not only the source of all life, but also is the source of humanity's enlightenment, that is, humanity's higher level functioning. We talked about that in the previous episode. We also Recall from the previous episode that human beings were created in the image and likeness of God. The thought of God appears first in Genesis 1.26. Then the manifestation follows afterwards in Genesis 1.27. We're going to go back now and read that where it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. 
male and female, he created them. As you can tell from my emphasis here, the operative words here in verse 27 are them, stated twice. Since God consists of us, as it states in verse 26, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, the image of God, his reflection has to be them. It has to be more than one. Thus, male and female, like God, are to be two who dwell together and function as one. Thus, the creation of the two is necessary for the image to reflect the source. Now, the scriptures tell us that the man was created first. It says that in two places, one in the Old, one in the New Testament, Genesis 2-7 in the Old, and 1 Timothy 2.13 in the New Testament. After God created the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden and gave him instructions to take care of it, he warned the man not to pursue the way of separation, not to go it alone, as it said in Genesis 2.17. At this point, God's now going to teach the man why living in a relationship based on a deep desire, is a much more fulfilling way to live. In other words, he's going to teach the man how to fulfill his purpose as a reflection of God. God does this beginning in Genesis 2 in verse 18. It says there, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. The Hebrew term, suitable helper, is taken from the Hebrew verb azar, A-Z-A-R, which literally means to surround and implies a means of protection or help. So the woman is actually a protector for the man. <laughs> this calls to mind what my partner has often told me, that married men live longer even though they weigh more. <laughs> Why is that? Because of women's created inclination to protect. They also tend to take much fewer risks than men do. In fact, what also factors into this design of God's is that men to take even more risk when under stress. So God, having warned the man not to risk his well-being by choosing the way of independence or separation back in verse 17, knows that the man will be less likely to pursue a rash decision if a woman he deeply desires, that is, loves, is there to be a source of protection for him. Now, God needs to convince the man that such a course of action is in his best interests. So what does God do? Uh, let's read about it in verses 19 and 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, 
no suitable helper was found. So God and Adam survey the entire creation here, seeking to find among them a protector for Adam. But Adam didn't find any among them that fit his need, that he was deeply attracted to. Again, here God is teaching Adam. He wants Adam to see for himself what he both wants and what he needs. God wants Adam to learn that to properly reflect God's image, a relationship is necessary. And this relationship is founded on the principle of unity and motivated by a deep and earnest desire. So how does God teach him this? Let's go to verses 21 and 22 now of Genesis 2. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Well, God decides to operate. He gives Adam an anesthetic, so Adam is out cold. While he's unconscious, God removes a part of his body and forms it into a woman. So God did not form the woman in the same way that he did for the man. He formed the man out of the dust of the ground, we remember in Genesis 2.7. God created this woman out of the man. The living woman was created out of the man. Thus her existence is directly linked to his. In addition to this, most translations of Scripture, like the one above, say that the woman was formed from the man's rib. Now, it's interesting that the ribs surround, they protect both the heart and the lungs in the human body. In Scripture, the heart rep represents the center of one's being while the function of the lungs in the human body is breathing, the taking in of air, which as stated above, corresponds to spirit and life. So God forms the woman from the man, which will prompt the man to see himself in the woman and thus be attracted to her. At the same time, the woman will have a deep desire to protect her source of life, for she will also see the man as part of herself. Thus, the two will become one through mutual attraction. So once Adam awakens, God escorts the woman over to meet Adam. How does Adam respond? Verse 23 of Genesis 2. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Adam recognizes her as part of himself. So in reality, Adam recognizes that the two 
the man and the woman are not really two, but one. The two acting as one then become the perfect reflection of the oneness of God in the Word. So then the scripture goes on to state in verses 24 and 25 of Genesis 2, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Okay, my friends. How does a man become one flesh with his wife? How is this pictured in our physical realm? They join together in sexual intercourse. This is obvious by what's said in verse 25. They were both naked and they felt no shame. Thus, the original intent for sexual intercourse and the feelings of ecstasy that go with it were to reflect the ecstatic union between God and the Word. In this divinely ordained state of being, there is absolutely nothing to hide. Likewise, when a couple are naked with one another, and because you understand that being joined in this way fulfills your divinely instituted purpose, you are fully at peace together and feel no shame. There's no guilt. There's no sin. The creation is complete. So at this point, how does God view his creation? Genesis 1 and verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. The Hebrew words translated very good means holy and abundantly good and pleasant. So now, being perfectly satisfied with creation, it says further in Genesis 2, in verses 1 and 2, it talks about the next thing God does. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Now here's something surprising. What God created is complete. It's exceedingly good and pleasant, but it's complete. This actually appears, this statement of the creation being complete actually appears to be in conflict with what modern science is telling us about the universe, that our universe is actually expanding. Let's examine this issue further now. Um, let's go to an article in the BBC Sky at Night magazine that was recently published there. It says there, quote, We know that the universe is expanding because galaxies appear to speed away from each other. 
their mutual distances are continuously increasing. We can observe this through the phenomena known as redshift. That article goes on to say that the universe is expanding because space is expanding. Thus, the galaxies appear to be moving further away from each other. The author then goes on to explain that this expansion is similar to what you see in a loaf of raisin bread rising in an oven. As the loaf expands, the raisin and the loaf, uh, the raisins in the loaf move further apart. Thus, the raisins are representative of the galaxies, and the loaf is like space in our universe. So, according to science, our universe is changing. But Genesis tells us God's creation is complete. In other words, it's not changing. So do we have a conflict here? Is science correct and the Bible wrong or vice versa? Or is there another factor that needs consideration? Let's turn to A Course in Miracles to see what it has to say about this subject. We're going to read here from the text, chapter 11, in section 7, in paragraph 1. Quote, The world as you perceive it cannot have been created by the Father, for the world is not as you see it. God created only the eternal, and everything you see is perishable. Therefore, there must be another world that you do not see. Verse 4, the Bible speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. Yet this cannot be literally true, for the eternal are not recreated. They stand, end quote, they stand as is. So the cosmos that science studies and where we appear to live is not the same as God's creation. So are there two creations? Let's answer that by looking at verse 4 above, where it speaks of the Bible talking about a new heaven and a new earth, and that not being literally true. Let's see how that new heaven and new earth are described in the Bible in Revelation 21, in verse 1. It says there, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What the scripture is saying here is when the new heaven and the new earth are revealed, the first heaven and the first earth pass away. One replaces the other. But not literally, as A Course in Miracles states because the eternal are not recreated. One replaces the other perceptually. So are there two creations? No. There are two perceptions of creation. God's perception of creation 
is one that is peaceful and pleasant, filled with abundant goodness, a world where there's no death, sorrow, crying, or pain, as it says in Revelation 21 and verse 4. Or it's as Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 11 and verses 6 through 9. It's a place where the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is clearly a very different perception of creation than what we perceive today. That's because there is a very different spirit, that is, power in the air, that governs our perception. Notice the perception of the world Isaiah describes is the result of the earth filled with the knowledge of the Lord. The world we perceive now has rejected that perception. We perceive the world much differently, don't we? We perceive it as a mixture of beauty and danger, a mixture of happiness and sorrow, a mixture of pain and pleasure, a mixture of laughing and crying, a mixture of health and sickness, and a mixture of life and death. When would anyone in our world allow an infant to play near a cobra's den? Or allow a little child to lead a wolf, a lamb, a leopard, a goat, a calf, and a lion together? We'd say, that's insanity. Why, then, is there such a vast difference in these two worlds, ours and God's. Because of differences in perception of what is real and what is not. Has there always been this difference? No. In fact, in fact there has not always been perception Perception came into being during what is known as the fall of man. And we will discuss how that came to be in the next episode of Change Your Mind About You. Thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, reminding you that the creation of man and woman, the two becoming one, is designed to perfectly reflect the relationship between God and the Word. It is a relationship founded on deep desire to be together, thus forming a shared life filled with happiness, peace, and abundance with complete freedom from death, sorrow, crying, or pain. 
this God-created world appears to be very different from the world we have made for ourselves. Yet it is only different because we prefer to perceive the world as we made it, rather than as God created it. In future episodes, we will discuss how perception became so distorted and how it can also be corrected. Be sure to tune in. So, until next time, take good care and be well, my friends.